morning. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna pray in a second, but I wanted to give a quick introduction before Wade comes up and gives the bulk of the of the talk today. Um, thanks for coming. Uh, we're, for the next three weeks, we're gonna do a seminar on discipleship, and some of it's gonna be theological, some of it's gonna be practical. We're gonna have time to ask questions. There's gonna be people who come up and speak from our church to talk about their experiences, and so that's what we're gonna do in the next over the next few weeks. Um, in 2008, uh, Willow Creek Church in Chicago, is one of the largest churches in America, um, they, they at that time, in the, in, the, in the 2000s, the 90s, and the 2000s, they were one of the largest churches. They were actually um, planted many campuses, and they uh, grew very, very rapidly during the seeker-sensitive movement in the uh, 90s and 2000s. They actually became like a model for how to grow a church, and they emphasized a lot of programs uh, based on people's uh, felt needs. They also had very slick marketing campaigns. And then in 2008, they released a multi-year study. And in this multi-year study, they hired a third party to come in and examine the effectiveness of their programs and their philosophy of ministry. And what they found out was, and what they released, and this is something that they have uh, written a book on, they found out was that all they'd been doing for years and years were growing numbers, but they weren't practically growing disciples. And and so um, the pastor of the church, Bill Hybels, you might have heard of him. And this is what, a quote that, he came, that came out of that book that, he, that the church released in 2008. I want to read it to you. He says, Some of the stuff that we have put millions of dollars into thinking it would really help our pe- people grow and develop spiritually, when the data actually came back, it wasn't helping people that much. Other things that we didn't put that much money into and we didn't put too much staff against is stuff our people were crying out for. And we made a mistake. What we should have done... When people crossed the line of faith and became Christians, we should have started telling people and teaching people that they have to take responsibility to become, quote-unquote, self-feeders. We should have gotten people, taught people how to read their Bible between services, how to do spiritual practices much more aggressively on their own. In short, what he was saying was that, hey, we were doing a lot of programs, but we weren't making mature followers of Christ. And that was, But that was like 15, 20 years ago, right? I mean, things have changed, surely, right? Um, in 2017, I went to this uh, Gospel Coalition National Conference, and one of the breakout seminars I went to was uh, with Tim Keller. And he, uh, you guys know Tim Keller, right? Um, uh, he, did a, he did a seminar called uh, Calvin and His Company of Pastors, and basically it was about John Calvin and how he realized that preaching alone wasn't enough to form, uh, form disciples, and so he was using a different methods to do spiritual formation for people. He did catechisms, he met with people, he evaluated other preachers, and... Um, one of the things that he, he that he said that really stuck out to me, he said that how um, what he observed was in churches today, he said the fastest way to grow a church in today is to have good preaching. People seem to flock to churches with good preaching, and so actually pastors who preach well get lionized. And I would say maybe some of us have come to IGC because we have great preaching here, right? I, and I agree and I love it. But Keller was saying in that in that seminar he was saying that it's not enough. People don't become mature followers of Christ only through listening to good preaching. You need spiritual formation. You need discipleship. And so I don't want to think. I want. I don't want us to think as a church that we're going to grow mature disciples of Christ just by. Or, or I don't want us to think that what happened at Willow Creek or what happens in other churches is different from what what can happen at IGC. I think we can ha- we can fall into the same trap. We can wake up one day and realize that we have not made healthy mature disciples at, at at our church. We might grow in numbers, we might grow in programs, but not maybe not in maturity. And that's not what I want. I don't want that. I hope you guys don't want that. I don't want us to be a thousand miles wide and an inch deep. I'd rather 
Um, see, honestly, I'd rather just see 20, 20 people mature in Christ over 30 years than to see 500 people who are just professing Christ by name only. And I really believe that. And so how do we change the culture of IGC? How do we change that where disciple making is in our DNA? Obviously, it takes a lot of stuff, but it it's really requires the Holy Spirit to work through the Word of God into our hearts and move us out with purpose and conviction and direction. And so we have to learn it. We have to model it. We have to live and breathe it. And you have to be convinced in your heart that this is what God's will is for you and what it is for me. You have to you have to be convinced. It's not going to just happen because you try things. And um, my, my my spiritual mentor, my my former pastor. He convinced me for five years, every week, that this is what we were supposed to be doing on earth. And he showed it to me. And it took years of teaching and challenging. And uh, if you look at Romans 12, it says that we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So that by testing, we can discern what God's will is for us, his good and perfect will. And so Wade, he's going to come up and he's going to teach today about some of the biblical ideas of theology around discipleship, about multiplication, what this looks like throughout the course of the biblical narrative. Some of you guys are go-getter types, right? You guys find maybe theology a little boring, and you guys want to go and say, I, I just, what, what do we do? Tell me what I want to do. I, I don't know so much. About, I want to know about so much, so much about that kind of stuff. And I would challenge you guys, if, that, if you're the go-getter types and you're ready for action, to pay particular attention to the theology, because I think that's going to be the thing that's going to be helpful for you. And for other, other of you guys, uh, the more bookworm types, you guys are going to find the theology fascinating. And you guys are going uh, to find it great, but then the, the time to move out and be practical and put boots on the ground is going to be a little harder for you. So maybe that part you need to be a pay, pay attention a little, bit more, uh, more, a little bit more. So I don't want you guys to make the mistake of thinking that what we're doing today is some kind of dry theology. It's supposed to be life-changing. It's supposed to be the Word of God is a double-edged sword, right? It cuts all the way to the bone and marrow. So... Um, with that, uh, we'll also have time to pray. But so the, the idea is that today will be a little bit more theological in terms of the outline of discipleship. Next week will be a little bit more about taking a look at the Bible's model for discipleship and how it's done. And then we'll have a third week where we're going to have people from our church uh, in a panel to talk about their experiences of discipleship, ask practical questions and things like that. So with that, let me, uh, let me just pray and then Wade will come up and he'll share. Father, we thank you, Lord, that um, when you saved us, um, you didn't save us and leave us, but Father, you gave us the Spirit and you let us participate in your work. And Father, we are we are so inadequate to do so. And so, Father, we, we thank you that, Lord, that you give us the Holy Spirit. It's between <laughs> your presence and your power that you command us to make disciples. You say all authority is given to you, Jesus and and he's going to be with us always to the very end of age. And so, Father, I pray that as we go through this seminar, as we learn from your word, I pray that it would not just enter our minds, but also take our minds and transform it and, 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 and go down to our hearts. And, Father, that we would be convinced in our minds and our hearts that making disciples is what you've called us to do. Making the disciples is why you saved us. Making disciples is what we're supposed to be doing as a church. I pray, Father, that our church would continually grow in that area, however long it takes. I pray that you work in our hearts and our weaknesses and our lives and use it for your glory. We pray that you be with Wade now as he comes up and speaks from your word. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. If you guys don't have a sheet, um, it's right there in the back. So, my goal today is for us to see how 
this idea of discipleship or multiplication is written throughout the scriptures and uh, I'm going to use the word multiplication a lot this morning and this is this fits along with this idea of discipleship because we're, what we want to be as a church is we want to be a church that follows Jesus and we help others follow Jesus and it doesn't just end there we want those who we want to follow Jesus to lead others to follow Jesus and there should be a continued expansion of the work of this church so multiplication so I'm going to use that word a lot and uh, I'll have one it feels weird doing this because I haven't taught Sunday school in uh like a year, two years, um, to write up there. But so my goal today is to show us how this idea of multiplication goes throughout from the very beginning of scriptures to the very end. So what we do as a church, it's not just we want to grow um, people and not that we want to grow in numbers, but that we are falling into the the pattern set to, set before us in the scriptures. So the thesis of the, the next 30 minutes is that God is on mission and he wants to multiply his image bearers, people that will glorify him. So I'm going to start with, uh, before we talk about this first point, um, I'll just preface it by saying that if you listen to historians or uh, even people who aren't believers, like the evolutionary biologists, they will tell you, that the the ultimate goal of any any species is to what we want to proliferate we want to create more of who we are so this is the the whole idea behind just if you look at the secular understanding of dating or marriage or relationships uh, for a lot of people the ultimate goal is I want to have a family and this drives so many people and um, this is I think in some on some levels, this instinct is correct. Um, we see this in Genesis. We see uh, in Genesis 1.28, and I'm hitting our first point right now. God says to uh, says to Adam and Eve, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens, and over everything that moves on the earth. So this is what we call the cultural mandate. This is what we say. God has given man and woman a mission. He's given them something to do with their life. And this is huge. I want you to be fruitful and multiply. This is I've heard that this is the funnest command that uh, God has ever given man. Be fruitful and multiply. Um, this is multiplication commanded. And you know what? I'm going to do this here because I'm going to... I'm going to need multiplication commanded. God commands us to be fruitful. He commands us to ha- create biological offspring. This happens before the fall. After the fall, do you remember in Genesis 3, man and woman, they fall, they, they sin, they rebel against God. But God's call to them, God's command to them is still... I want you to be fruitful and multiply. In Genesis 9-1, he tells Noah and sons, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So this is the first great command that God gives to man. Multiplication command commanded, uh, there's this cultural mandate. This is the uh, theological term that we, we give to this. So how does this 
how, how does this uh, happen? So does God just want us to, you know, get together with people and create, create uh, offspring? There is a, there's something deeper than that. And God gives a theological framework to this act of procreation. So not only is multiplication commanded, but multiplication is promised. So we see this in the covenants of the Old Testament. I'm going to do M. Um, what, promised. So God is speaking to people in the ancient Near East, and in their minds, the uh, one of the the most important things was for you to have family for economic reasons, um, because this was an agrarian society, so it behooved you to have lots of children to help you on the farm. This would help in a in a financial uh, from the financial aspect. Um, but not only that, one of the most important things for any family was for their family name to continue on throughout the generations. So when someone says, uh, God bless you for a thousand generations, they're saying this is the highest blessing you can have, which is to have a lot of offspring. Because people want their name to continue way after they're dead. They want, if if their last names were Chan, in the ancient Near East, there was no one named Chan. But uh, if I were there, um, I, would, I would want the name Chan to go on to not just Zachary, but to Zachary's son and to his son's son. And for uh, hundreds of generations, I would want my name to proliferate. So this is the understanding that the ancient the people in the ancient Near East had was we want to have a lot of children. We want to have a lot of offspring. We want them to have a lot of children and we want our family name to continue on. So God looks, God speaks into this context and he makes covenants with his people. So if we study just the broader idea of the, the uh, script, the biblical story, God deals with man in covenant. So the Abrahamic covenants, and I'm actually going to ask you guys, I'm going to um, ask for volunteers to read these passages, but um, we'll look through the covenants and we'll see what God promises through the covenants. So a covenant is a agreement or a kind of a deal that God makes with man. And it's more than just contractual. This is something that God binds himself to. And um, this is how God has dealt with his people. So the uh, the first one that we're going to look at is the Abrahamic covenant. Can I have a volunteer read Genesis 12, 1 through 3? I'll have Peter. Yeah. Okay. Um, the Abrahamic covenant, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All right, thanks. Do you guys remember the promise that God made to Abraham? He says, your your descendants will be as many as the stars in the sky. Um, there's there's a Rich Mullins song that goes, uh, sometimes I think of Abraham um, and how one star he saw had been lit for me. So if we belong to Christ, they were we are the descendants of Abraham. Uh, one any A star that, that Abraham saw in the sky was meant to have your name on it um, so 
I will make you a great nation. I will make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. Um, and in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God is saying that your influence, your legacy, your life is going to outlast you way after you're gone. Uh, can I have someone read Genesis thirteen sixteen, please? Uh, Nate, can I have you read that? Again, this is a huge promise. God is saying, as much as you can imagine your this, this blessing, it's going to go beyond that. So this is the Abrahamic covenant. God promises that there will be offspring if they abide by the, uh, the terms of the covenant. We move on to the Mosaic covenant, and this is in Deuteronomy 7.11. Who can read these four verses? All right, thanks. Thank you. Look at what's underlined. He will love you. He will bless you. And he will multiply you. Again, God is promising you're going to have offspring. You will multiply. And not only you, but look at the males and females that come after you. The male or female, there shall not be male or female barren among you or among your livestock. Now imagine that there's no infertility. There is a promise that if you guys want to have a child, you will have a child. This is what God is promising to these people who have such, uh, who value children and grandchildren, great grandchildren so much. So God is promising to bless them with this. And then we have the Davidic covenant, which is, we're going to read this covenant, which is the, uh, it foreshadows Christ. This is the, I've heard that this is the key that unlocks the entire Bible. This is the verse that makes sense of um, everything that God is doing from Genesis to Revelation. Um, it actually begins in 2 Samuel seven fourteen, but we're just going to read uh, verse 16 right now. Can I have someone read this one verse? Josh will. In your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. All right. So what is in this covenant here is a promise that your house, again, this imagery of your family is going to be made sure forever. This is the Lord speaking to David, but he's speaking beyond just his physical offspring. So this is multiplication, commanded multiplication, promised to the people of God. Uh, Page two. But if we know the story, do God's people keep the commands of God? The Old Testament is a story of God pursuing his people because they fail so often, because they break his commands, because they dishonor him. And there are consequences to disobeying God. And God says here, because you did not obey me, I will curse you. And here, the promise, what was promised to me, that will cease. So multiplication is ceased. Can I have someone read this passage from Isaiah 48, please? Kendra. Oh, that you had 
paid attention to my commandments, then your peace would have been like a river, and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Your offspring would have been like the sand, and your descendants like its grains. Their name would never be cut off or destroyed from before me. Thanks. Do you guys see there's an echo of the Abrahamic covenant here, right? Uh, I promised you as many descendants as there are grains of sand on the sea. But that's not going to happen because you didn't obey my commands. And some th- here are some examples of what this cursing will look like. One of them will be childlessness. Can I have, so- have someone read Deuteronomy 28? Jeff. All right, here's this imagery of there's something in your womb. Um, maybe it's not going to work how it should. Um, there's childlessness, and we're going to see in other places where this theme of childless, childlessness um, runs through the Scripture. Um, so because the commands were broken, one of the consequences is childlessness. How can you have a name if you don't have someone to carry that name? Uh, next, women have no men to marry. Um, the implication being that you cannot have someone to carry a name, that you cannot have children. Can I have someone read Isaiah chapter 4, please? Thanks. Several, several women, seven women shall take hold of one man in that day, saying, We will eat our own bread and wear our own clothes. Women, let us, call, let us be called by your name. Take away our reproach. Thank you. Here... When we read this passage, we should be thinking there should be a tone of desperation. Um, there's not enough men. The, the, the gen, there's this huge uh, uh, difference between who's available to... There's not enough males for, for the females. And um, I think the implication goes just beyond you're gonna, there's going to have to be polygamy. There is you're not going to be able to have children because you just don't have the, we don't have the physical mechanisms in place because we, they're not available. So uh, another outworkings of the curse is that women have no men to marry. And then in Second Kings 20, uh, here it tells us that the children will become eunuchs. So a eunuch is someone whose sex, sex organs don't work or they're not there. So of course, you're not going to be able to Procreate. You're not going to be able to produce children if you're a eunuch. Who can read Second Kings twenty? Taywell. Uh, behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house shall be carried to Babylon, and some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. All right. Thank you. So, if your biggest concern, if your if your highest value is to have children then this is really bad news for you because God is saying, I have cut off the blessings that were promised to you because you did not obey. And if you're, if this was what you cared about the most, you can imagine how devastating this would be. And as we read through these passages in the text, we should be thinking, all the light has gone out. All the hope that they had, that's gone um, from a financial standpoint, from a uh, familial standpoint, from uh, just being able to enjoy the, the, the fruits of your womb, that is gone. So there should be a 
darkness, a heaviness as we read this. But because God loves his people, multiplication is restored. And um, it means that the curse that God placed on his people, that curse is removed. And that comes by the person of Jesus. He is prophesied in Isaiah 53. Can I have someone read this passage, please? I'll have Matt read this passage. By, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. All right, this passage is really interesting because here we see again this theme of um, be, having your name removed from from the scrolls or the passage or the imagery given to us here, uh, the Lord will be cut off. The Lord Jesus Christ will be cut off out of the land of the living. So he's saying there's there's a there's a cessation to to this line um, because Jesus died. But really interesting, he says he shall see his offspring. How does that work? It means that there is something beyond a physical uh, physical proliferation. It means that there will be offspring that goes beyond what can come from your loins. Uh, and there's a restoration. There is a promise that the woman who was once infertile will become fertile again. Um, so there's blessing for the infertile woman. Can I have someone read Isaiah 54, please? Rachel. Thank you. Do you guys see the imagery here? talks about it references someone who has never experienced the process of laboring of giving birth to a child it talks about the shame of your youth the reproach of your widowhood Um, and it says for the children of the desolate one meaning the one who is not able to give birth who is not able to have children will be more than the children of her who is married God is telling his people you might think that having physical children is the biggest blessing there is, but let me tell you, there's something that goes beyond that. And here we have something pretty remarkable, which is that what you thought was a blessing is a blessing on one level, but I will give you a blessing that goes even beyond that. So not only is multiplication restored, it is redefined. And this comes about because of Jesus. Uh, it continues on. Do you guys remember the eunuchs? First, we read that the eunuchs, this would, this, the fact that your sons could become eunuchs, that was a curse. But now God says this blessing, the, the eunuch can be blessed. Um, can I have someone read Isaiah 56, please? 
Jeff, can I have you read Isaiah 56? Thanks. So, a dry tree is a tree that's dead. Um, that's going to be end of, end of that that lineage. But the Lord says to to the eunuch, "You're not going to say that, even though there may not be again a physical proliferation. You're not going to be dry. You're going to produce something." The other section that I have underlined in this passage. You're going to have a name better than sons and daughters. So here again is this this theme of blessing. So to have physical sons and daughters, this was, before all this came about, this was the biggest blessing was to have children, was to have people that will carry the name. And God is saying, your name is going to be better. You're going to have something, a name better than sons and daughters. So... Multiplica- the multiplication of God's people is restored. It's redefined. Um, so this is the... I didn't do this gra- graphically. It doesn't look right. But <laughs> this should be the high point of the uh, story, at least in, ter- in the context of multiplication. All right, so um, we're going to see that there's going to be a uh, repetition of the themes from here on out. Any questions or comments before I move on? I think this is great. Um, so what you're saying is that there's this mandate given to creation that we're supposed to have children. And then now, through this uh, new covenant, you can have non-biological, spiritual children. Yeah. You should be bearing yeah, yeah, totally, exactly. And uh, I will I will tell you that the first half of this Sunday school lesson um, is a repeat of a Sunday school lesson I did five years ago, which was on singleness, because what singleness is addressed throughout all of the scripture. We don't realize this. We don't realize this, but um, we just we have such a desire to be in relationships, and we have such a desire to you know carry the name. Um, but as far as I know, the Christian worldview is the only one that affirms that singleness is better than marriage. That's pretty remarkable. Um, and we see this as we look at in the context of discipleship as well. So we can have children that are better than physical children. Um, Totally. Thanks. All right. Um, It gets better. So multiplication is restored and multiplication is um, redefined. So 
because the gospel is true, because God has done a redemptive work, because he hasn't abandoned his people, it means that we can think of family or sons and daughters or blessing in a different way. And that com- this comes in the context of the church. So let's look at the words of Jesus. Here is a, a woman that is following Jesus as he's doing ministry and... She says this, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But Jesus said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Now, again, here is this image of bearing children, of doing the act of feeding physical children. And this woman in the crowd, she says, Wow, your mother Mary, she is is so amazingly blessed because you came from her womb and how proud would you be that your son is Jesus? But Jesus says, hold on one second. Let me tell you, tell you who is even more blessed than my mother Mary. The one who hears the word of God and keeps it. Now this is something that we do, right? We hear the word of God and hopefully as followers of Jesus, we keep the word of God. Who is really blessed? Not the family, physical family member, but the spiritual family member of Jesus. Um, we are called the brothers of Jesus, or Jesus is our brother in Hebrews. Um, how remarkable is that, that the Son of God is our brother? Uh, in Mark chapter 3, can I have someone read this, please? Sarah. All right, thanks. So again, do you see how how this runs against our understanding of family? Jesus is saying, uh, it's not the person that you share a address with. It's the person who does the will of God just as you do the will of God. If you want the realist relationship, then you have you find it in the context of the church. Uh, I don't know if we think about that a lot. But Jesus is really big on this. And then in Mark 10, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And, uh, well, let me, let me have someone read it and then I'll, I'll commentate. Can I have someone read Mark chapter 10? Can I ask Wickoff to do this? Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. Thanks. So we're talking about following Jesus and to follow Jesus you can't do it without sacrificing. And some of us will give up relationships to follow Jesus. Some of us will give up our idea of what a family is be to follow is, is supposed to be to follow Jesus. And Peter's saying, Jesus, check this out. I did all this. I sacrificed all this for you. I even sacrificed my family, which is the highest value in my culture. And Jesus says, hold on one second. You're not sacrificing anything because 
I'm going to give you a hundredfold what you thought you gave up. And it's not going to be physical offspring. It's going to be other people who follow me. Um, there's discipleship right there. And in Ephesians chapter 2, can I have someone read this one verse? Thank you. We are members of the household of God. So we are a part of the church and we are the result of God's blessing. It's not because uh, for me, uh, at some points, an ancestor, one of my great, great, great grandfather met my great, great, great grandmother on the streets of China and they decided we're going to have a child and that continued on. No, it's because my my truer identity what is most true of who i am is not chan it's that i bear the name of christ and if we are followers of christ this is true of you um murray or ong or chung or yi or whatever that name is secondary to the name that we bear as followers of christ so multiplication is restored multiplication is redefined as we consider ourselves to be multipliers of god's family all right questions comments all right, we've got a few more minutes. So multiplication, again, is now the work of God goes beyond physical people. It extends to a cosmic level. We're all part of a much bigger story. And we see this in chapter 7 of Daniel. And this is... Um, this is the vision of the Ancient of Days, one of the key texts in the Old Testament. Can I have someone read these two verses, please? I'm going to ask Alina. Or Faye, if you've got it. Or Tracy. <laughs> All right, thank you. So there, we have a chart here that compares the cosmic commission of Daniel to the great commission of, uh, of Jesus in Matthew 28. But this passage in Daniel 7, it's, when we read it, we should have in our minds, here is someone being called to an, an infinitely large task that cannot be achieved by mankind um, something beyond us has to happen. So uh, here it, it gives us the, the, uh, this figure, the Ancient of Days. And looking back at it now, we can know that this is Jesus being spoken of. And I was going to go down this chart. Um, we have the Great Commission, the Cosmic Commission. There is a parallel to these two passages. So in the Cosmic Commission, it says, I saw in the night visions, uh, the Ancient of Days... And here is Jesus in Matthew 28, verse 18, uh, parallel. The Ancient of Days is Jesus. Jesus says in Matthew, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Daniel 7, He, he was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. And in 
uh, verses 19 and 20, Jesus says, I want you to make disciples of all nations. In Daniel 7, people of all nations, languages should serve him. And Jesus says, this promise, this blessing, I'm with you always. Uh, And in Daniel 7, his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed to the even to the end of the age. We have in Revelation this picture of people from all tribes and tongues and nations. Your friends and neighbors will be in that crowd one day, worshiping the Ancient of Days. The King Jesus, with His authority over all things, we're going to sit under the authority of the King. We're going to be worshiping Him. And how did that come to be it's because you and I did the job of the church which was to multiply ourselves which was to make disciples so multiplication is promised and we look at multiplication it's commanded again in Matthew 28 do you guys see this multiplication is commanded in Genesis and commanded again in Matthew 28 multiplication is promised through the covenants multiplication is promised in Daniel 7 and this is how God works God is going to bring everything to a close one day and the reason why we're putting this before you is because you're going to need something bigger than your desire to have friends or to grow this church numerically in order to drive what you do as disciple makers. You need something as big as the story of the Bible. So that is what we should understand. Um, if you guys are into missions or just like the the overall story of the Bible, I really recommend this book, The Mission of God by Christopher Wright. It's a... Uh, like 500 pages. Um, This is a really good book. I use it as reference a lot. But let me read to you. Here is a guy who's thought deeply about the structure and the story of the Bible. And at the end of the day, it doesn't come down to us being impressed by the bigness of the story. It comes down to us reevaluating, where do I fit into what God is doing? So he gives us, he, he, he just presents to us some of Uh, the implications. We ask, where does God fit into the story of my life? When the real question is, where does my little life fit into the great story of God's mission? We want to be driven by a purpose that has been tailored just right for our own individual lives, when we should be seeing the purpose of all life, including our own, wrapped up in the great mission of God for the whole of creation. We talk about the problems of applying the Bible to our lives, which often means modifying the Bible to fit into the assumed reality of the life that we live in. Instead, we should assume that the Bible is the reality, the real story to which we are called to conform ourselves to. We try to make the gospel relevant to the world. We should be making ourselves relevant to the mission of God. I may wonder what kind of mission God has for me when I should ask what kind of what kind of me God wants for his mission. We can't just decide to change. We can't just will ourselves to do what we're supposed to do. God is going to do it, and he does it by giving us this big, grand story to fit into. So this is the theology behind discipleship. And um, we can talk more if you want to. I, I kind of had to fit everything into 30 minutes. But are there any questions or comments before we close up? Yeah. I love this. This is so exciting. I feel like we live in a culture 
where um, we're trained to be consumers. You know, we're such a consumeristic, materialistic culture. And superficially, it's enjoyable, but ultimately, it's hollow and unsatisfying. So we need to <coughs> give our lives to something bigger, this big story. What is this great mission that we're supposed to be on? Which is, we're supposed to participate in this family, growing family, producing, reproducing children. I think it's an amazing thing. I think one of the things that um, parents, parents who have children, they find this great mission in life. Like the, lo the lowest suicide rate is parents, because mm. you can't commit suicide because there are people <laughs> depending on you. So I feel like it's, it's a profound way to have meaning and purpose. Yeah. It's a. Uh, yeah, just imagine the stuff we do here, like today. September 15th is going to have repercussions for all eternity. Can you guys believe that? Uh, that's, that's exciting, right? Um, so we're going to talk more next week. David is going to lead the session on this. What is this going to look like practically for us? If we really believe that the Bible gives us something big to fit into, um, what does it look like for us just as we're thinking about developing discipleship relationships? Cool? All right, let me close in prayer real quick and then we'll worship together in the next room. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have not left us alone, but you speak to us truth. And I thank you that this truth can be made known and that we can uh, know what you're doing, God. So I pray that we would trace the hand, your hand in all, every day of our life. And I pray that we would submit to the hand that's working in our life, God, for the sake of the mission to make disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.